Father, we're grateful for your word, for what it means to us. Lord, bless our time together. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning, my friends. My name is Jim, and I'm one of the pastors here at Redemption Peoria. Get the chance to preach this morning. And I want to let you know that I'm going to read the opening portion of a book by Michael, nah, that's a song, <laughs> by Max Lucado. The book is called Cosmic Christmas. It was first published that way, and then 10 years later, it was republished with the title An Angel's Story. So since I always recommend books, get a copy and put it on your shelf and read it around Christmas. So let me begin with this story. Gabriel, just the sound of my king's voice stirred my heart. I left my post at the entryway and stepped into the throne room. To my left was a desk on which the Book of Life sat. Ahead of me was the throne of the Almighty God. I entered the circle of unceasing light, folded my wings before me to cover my face, and knelt before him. Yes, my Lord, you have served the kingdom well. You are a noble messenger. Never have you flinched in duty. Never have you flagged in zeal. I bowed my head, basking in the words, whatever you ask, I will do a thousand times over, my king, I promised. Of that, I have no doubt, dear messenger. His voice assumed a solemnity that I had never heard him use. But your greatest work lies ahead of you. Your next assignment is to carry a gift to earth. Behold, I lifted my eyes to see a necklace clear vial on a golden chain dangling from his extended hand. My father spoke earnestly, though empty, this vial will soon contain my greatest gift. Place it around your neck. I was about to take it when a raspy voice interrupted me. And what treasure will you send to earth this time? My back stiffened at the irreverent tone and my stomach turned at the sudden stench. Such foul odor could only come from one being. I drew my sword and turned to do battle with Lucifer. The father's hand on my shoulder stopped me. He said, worry not, Gabriel, he will do no harm. I stepped back and stared at God's enemy. He was completely covered. A black cassock hung over his skeletal frame, hiding his body and arms and hooding his face. The feet protruding beneath the robe were thrice-toed and clawed. The skin on his hands was that of a snake. Talons extended from his fingers. He pulled the cape further over his face as a shield against the light, but the brightness still pained him. Seeking relief, he turned to me. I caught a glimpse of the skullish face within the cowl. What are you staring at, Gabriel, he sneered. Are you that glad to see me? I had no words for the fallen angel. Both what I saw and what I remembered left me speechless. I remembered him before the rebellion, poised proudly at the vanguard of our force, wings wide, holding forth a radiant sword. He had inspired us to do the same. Who could refuse him? The sight of his velvet hair and coal black eyes had far outstripped the beauty of any celestial being. Any being, of course, except our creator. No one compared Lucifer to God except Lucifer. He came to think he was worthy of the same worship as God, and only God knows. And all I knew was that I had not seen Satan since the rebellion, and what I saw now repulsed me. I searched for just a hint of his former splendor, but saw none. 
Your news must be urgent, spat Satan to God, still unable to bear the light. My father's response was a pronouncement. The time has come for the second gift. The frame beneath the cape bounced stiffly as Lucifer chuckled. <laughs> the second gift, huh? I hope it works better than the first. You're disappointed with the first? Asked the father. Oh, quite the contrary. I've delighted in it. Lifting a bony finger, he spelled a word in the air, choice. You gave Adam his choice. Satan scoffed, and what a choice he made. He chose me. Ever since the fruit was plucked from the tree in the garden, I have held your children captive. They fell fast, hard. They are mine. You have failed. And he began to laugh. You speak so confidently, replied the father, astounding me with his patience. Lucifer stepped forward, his cloak dragging behind him. Of course, I thwart everything you do. You soften hearts, I harden them. You teach truth, I shadow it. You offer joy, I steal it. He pivoted and paraded around the room, boasting of his deeds, the betrayal of Joseph by his brothers. I did that. Moses banished to the desert after killing the Egyptian. I did that. David watching Bathsheba bathe. That was me. You must admit, my work has been crafty. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> crafty, perhaps, but effective, no. I know what you will do before you even do it, said the father. I used the betrayal of Joseph to deliver my people from famine. Your banishment of Moses became his wilderness training. And yes, David did commit adultery with Bathsheba, but he repented of his sin. And thousands have been inspired by his example and found what he found, unending grace. Your deceptions have only served as platforms for my mercy. You are still my servant, Satan. When will you learn your feeble attempts to disturb my work will only enable my work? Every act you have intended for evil, I have used for good. Satan began to growl, a throaty, guttural, angry growl, softly at first, then louder, until the room was filled with a roar that must have quaked the foundations of hell. But the king was not bothered. Feeling ill? Lucifer lurked around the room, breathing loudly, searching for words to say, and a shadow from which to say them. He finally found the words, but never the shadow. Show me, O King of Light, show me one person on earth who will always do what is right and obeys your will. Dare you ask? Don't you know? There, need to be only, there needs to be only one perfect one, only one sinless one, to die for all others. Lucifer spat back. I know your plans, and you have failed. No Messiah will come for your people. There is no one who is sinless, not one. He turned his back to the desk and began naming children. Not Moses, not Abraham, not Lot, not Rebecca, not Elijah. And the father stood from his throne, releasing a wave of holy light, so intense that Lucifer staggered backwards and fell. Those are my children you mocked, God's voice boomed. You think you, you know much, fallen angel? But you know so little. Your mind dwells in the valley of self. Your eyes see no further than your own needs. The king walked over and reached for the book. 
he turned it toward Lucifer and commanded, Come, deceiver, read the name who will call your bluff. Read the name of the one who will storm your gates. Satan rose slowly off his haunches. Like a weary wolf, he walked a wide circle around the desk until he stood before the volume and read the word, Emmanuel. Emmanuel, he muttered to himself, then spoke in a tone of disbelief, God with us? For the first time, the hooded head turned squarely toward the face of the Father. No, not even you would do that. Not even you would go so far. You have never believed me, Satan. But Emmanuel, the plan is bizarre. You don't know what it's like down on earth. You don't know how dark I've made it. It's putrid, it's evil. It is mine, proclaimed the king. And I will reclaim it as mine. I will become flesh. I will feel what my creatures feel. I will see what they see. But what of their sin? I will bring mercy. What if their death? I will give life. Satan stood speechless. God spoke. I love my children. Love does not take away the believers, the beloved's freedom, but love takes away fear. And Emmanuel will leave behind a tribe of fearless children. They will not fear you or your hell. Satan stepped back at the thought. His retort was childish. They will too. I will take away all sin. I will take away death. Without sin and without death, you have no power. Around and around in a circle, Satan paced, clenching and unclenching his wiry fingers. When he finally stopped, he asked a question that even I was thinking. Why? Why would you do this? The father's voice was deep and soft because I love him. <laughs> a great reading. So the big idea... <laughs> I think it's good. <laughs> the big idea for this morning's sermon uh, is this. Embracing God's love at the king's table results in a lifetime of godly, sacrificial service on behalf of the king. I think as I was studying, that the key characteristic of love is ultimately sacrificial service. It's giving and giving and giving. Love is one of the most used and often misunderstood words in our vocabulary it used to cover a host of emotions and feelings. Five or six weeks ago, when I found out what topic I was preaching on, John 3.16, this morning's text kept coming to my mind. Besides Psalm 23, it is probably the first or most well-known verse. Many of us learned it in church or heard it during our coming to Christ. Our text tells us, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes should not perish, but have eternal life. This morning, I want to take the beginning of John 3.16, for God so loved the world, and attach four events from a broad picture of biblical history, which point out the work of love through sacrificial service and giving. These historical connections or snapshots are relatively well-known, and I chose them for our ability to reflect on them because we know them, and our conviction. So let's begin. Number one is this, for God to love the world, that he sacrificed his creation to cover the nakedness of Adam and Eve. For God so loved the world that he sacrificed his creation to cover the nakedness of Adam and Eve. Created in the image of God, 
The man had dominion, responsibility to care for the creation. One of those responsibilities Adam was given was, before Eve was created, was to name the creation. And scripture says, whatever Adam named the creation, they were called. And Eve was created because as a result of that, no helper was suitable for Adam. Sometime later, when questioned and confronted by the enemy, Satan, they chose to disobey. The Lord and sin entered the world. And I often wonder how the creation felt the change. Was it instantaneous? Or was it a gradual roll through the earth? Songwriter Michael Card has an album on Lament. One of his songs is titled Older Than the Rain. His insight is intriguing into the immediate results of sin into the world. He says this, in Eden, the darkening garden was still, unwet by all the tears from the sky. The burden of that disobedient bite brought all the tears the fallen world would cry. The unwelcome tears that they had never had known coursed down their fallen faces in surprise. All they ever had seen was the light of his face, but now that sin had entered in, their tears would fall like rain. Falling tears from fallen eyes, our faces with an unaccustomed stain. We were driven from the garden beneath a cloudless sky, for human tears are older than the rain. Human tears are older than the rain. And so we all were driven from, the, from his presence and his peace to stumble along this long lamenting race from the deepest, darkest shadows. He joins us on our way and we recognize our fallen tears upon that human face. A creature seen, seen and named by Adam became a covering because of the man's sin. One of the animals that Adam had named was killed by God and that skin was provided to Adam and Eve to cover themselves. Again, can you imagine the change in creation when man and woman believed Satan's lie and chose themselves over their creator? They had walked regularly with the Lord God. They had engaged with the Lord naked without shame. And after their disobedience, they hid from the Lord and learned the consequence of their sin broken fellowship and shame. A reordering of the world that was never intended or wanted, but one that we have lived with since that took place. Death entered the world, and interestingly, God did not kill them, but he loved them, sacrificing one of his creation for the man and the woman. Number two, for God to love the world that he saved the life of Ruth, through the sacrifice of their kinsman redeemer, Boaz. Let me review this with you, but let me start there. here. I used to teach a walk through the Old Testament uh, seminar for walk through the Bible. And when you finish the book of Judges, we would say, every man did that which was right in his own eyes, except Ruth and Samuel, the next two books. If you leave the book of Judges and never read Ruth and Samuel, you'd be going... This nation is nuts and it's a mess. But here's Ruth under the guidance of her mother-in-law, Naomi, and in a relationship with Boaz, who does the right thing. And then we, of course, got to know Samuel through our series that we just ended on the Kings. 
So broken and hopeless because of life circumstances, Naomi's husband has died. Um, Ruth's mother-in-law returns to her home at Bethlehem in Judah. She encourages her two daughters-in-law, both who are Moabite women, to return to Moab. One does leave, but Ruth pledges to remain with her mother-in-law, confessing that Naomi's God will be her God and that Naomi's people will be her people. Ruth sacrifices her life to support Naomi. Ruth was willing to sacrifice her best chances of remarriage by going with Naomi to her people. While they're in Bethlehem, Naomi sends Ruth to gather wheat from the edge of the field, specifically of a man named Boaz. She knows Boaz, a successful farmer, can fulfill the role of kinsman redeemer, that is being able to marry Ruth. Ruth potentially then could have a son and have an inheritance and care for her mother-in-law, Naomi. When a woman lost her husband in this culture, she was destitute and vulnerable. Her only hope was that there would be a kinsman redeemer willing to come alongside. A kinsman redeemer was a close male relative who had responsibility to help a relative in need or danger. This could involve, involve issues of death, loss of land, and as we see in this story, marrying the widow, their close relative, in the hopes of producing a male heir and receiving an inheritance. This meant security for the widow and an inheritance for the son from the kinsman redeemer. In the story, there was another relative who was closer to Ruth, a closer relative than Boaz, but the text tells us that he did not want to fulfill that role because he was afraid of losing some of his wealth. He was afraid and did not want to give his inheritance to another child. Boaz was next in line and he redeems Ruth when he fulfills that role. She became pregnant and they had a son named Obed and Boaz knew that a part of that inheritance would go to their son. And Boaz was willing to love Ruth and sacrifice his inheritance to help Ruth and Naomi. The text says, so Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. They went, and he went into her and the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. Then the woman of that town said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. Their son's name was Obed. I'm sorry, yeah, their son Obed was Jeff. Their son, <laughs> let me say that again. Their son Obed was Jesse, who was King David's father. It's an interesting thing to see that connection. They were the great grandparents of David and are listed in the lineage of Jesus in Matthew. It's interesting to me that this took place in an area known as Judah and in the little town named Bethlehem, the birthplace of David and Jesus. Number three, for God so loved the world that he called us to the way of the Samaritan. Luke chapter 10, if you want to turn there, you can. If not, I'm going to review some of that with you in a moment. The story is familiar. It's clear, clearly a demonstration of unexpected love, sacrificial service, and obedience, and it's caused by the Samaritan. What the Jew should have done, the Samaritan does. Let me read 10, um, in chapter 10, verse 25. We'll work through this. On one occasion, an expert of the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus asked, what's written in the law? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, 
with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus says. Do this and you'll live. But wanting to justify himself, he says to Jesus, and who's my neighbor? Well, let me tell you a story. <laughs> a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. And so too, a Levite, when he came to the place, saw him and passed by on the other side. And he, the Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, put the man on his donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two days' wages, two denarii, and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. So then Jesus asked the question, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the robbers, hands of the robbers? The expert in the law said, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. The Samaritan's response in the story is totally unexpected because the Jews and the Samaritans hated each other. And whether this man was a Jew or not, there's, there's indication that, that he, he was identified as one. And then the Samaritans coming alongside of him to help him was just an amazing act by that man. What is unique to me is that so the Samaritan responds as Jesus does to those in need in the Gospels can just constantly. He saw the need, he had compassion, and he met the needs all on his way to Jericho. I would say almost all in a day's work. The way of the Samaritan is to be a way of life for us. All for all for all of us, all is for all for Jesus. And because of that, we make our way through the days we need to. All of life is all for Jesus, now that I've said that correctly. <laughs> and because of that, that becomes who we are and what we are as we go. What we need to do is look, respond with compassion, and act when we see those in need. If we see a need we can't address, then we need to let others know of the opportunity. I want to share with you a way of Samaritan story that happened at Redemption Peoria in the last couple of weeks. Probably six or eight weeks ago, a guy reached out to me and said, hey, can we get together for breakfast? I'm like, sure. It took us two or three weeks to get together. We finally did. Had a great time talking and learning about him and his family, a dad, a wife, and two young kids. Uh, and he uh, had an 18-year-old uh, gal living with them. And, um, and at the end of our breakfast, he said, you know, if you know anybody's got a car, cheap, <laughs> let me know, because she has a job but we're ferrying her back and, back and forth to work and it gets to be difficult at times. I think that was on a Thursday morning. On Tuesday morning the next week, I see a text from Tree Demeter to John and I that said, there's a family in church who has a car they wanna give away and it's free. I'm like, bingo, this is it. So I call this fella, go, guess what I, guess what the opportunity is? You interested? He couldn't say yes fast enough. So. In the next few hours, I put the, these uh, families in contact with each other, and either that night or the next night, uh, the family in need went to get the car. And as they rolled up, 
all their family went. So you figure you got six with that group. No, they're like, no, five. And the family who they went to had between four and seven. So that's all I'll say, because I don't want to identify too much, but there were kids all over the place. And, uh, <laughs> and as they got a chance to talk, uh, the family who was giving the car away said, hey, you want to stay for dinner? So the table doubled in size. What an amazing thing. I don't know if it was spaghetti, but <laughs> it got big very, very quick. And I was talking to the family who gave the car away, and this was their response uh, for their time together. We are still in awe of how it all worked out. God knew we both needed each other. The car was totally ancillary. It was it became much more about this. Oh, you got a vehicle, go take it and run it. So I thought, super, super good story of the way of the Samaritan. So lastly, for God to love the world that he gave us, the bread and the cup found on the king's table. He gave us that to remind us of his love for us from the beginning. In the men's group yesterday, uh, Troy spoke, and one of the things we're doing as we get together uh, is learn each other's story little little by little. So you've got a story with God. And my question to that is, how has he met you on your journey thus far? Yeah, so that's part of this table. He also gave us the table to remind us of his promise to return. He told his disciples that he would not share in the bread and the cup until he came back. We come remembering the Lord's mercies and sustainment in our story. We receive the bread, his body broken for us, and we dip it into juice, reminding us of his blood shed for us, which confirmed the new covenant, and we are nourished by our memories of his love and sacrifice for us and our community that we might be strengthened by those truths and memories so that we might go into quiet and renewed confidence to walk in the way of the Samaritan in the week that is ahead. So for God to love the world, that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Let me pray for us, and we'll move into uh, the next part of our service. Jesus, we're grateful that you loved us so much that you sent your son to this earth, to be born of a virgin, to live a life of 30 some odd years, and Lord, to be in Gethsemane and say, Father, take this cup from me, but not my will, but yours be done. Jesus loved us, sacrificed for us, was obedient to you for us, and Father, we stand in wonder and in awe, especially during this time of, time of year. So, Father, bless the continuing part of the service, Lord. Help us to remember just how much you have loved us and to share our story well with others as we go along. In his name, amen.